perfect. What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris. This is the Surf and Sales Podcast. And today is opening day of Major League Baseball. Richard, I don't know if you're aware of this, hence my giant hat today. Well, I, I did know that, and I think it's that's probably why we have John Seelig on, because he's Canadian and it is America's favorite pastime. So I know he's super excited and passionate about baseball as well. Yeah, well, the joke's on John. It's already America's pastime and he's Canadian. Welcome to the show, John Seelig, founder of Comedy Writing for Sales Pros. How's it going, John? It's, it's going okay, but you guys triggered me, and I've been reminded of two things. Number one, my last name is Selig, same as the former commissioner of baseball, who oh, yes. seemed to be single-mindedly dedicated to taking my baseball team, the Montreal Expos, giving them to Washington, D.C., so 15 years after they first played there, they can just go take the World Series, just claim that for their own. So uh, yeah. thanks, and guys. I, thanks. thanks for starting this not, off on antagonist. Yeah. Not, not only that, John, wasn't Bud Selig the commissioner the year that the Expos had the best record in baseball and the strike killed the season? Way to, dig your, way to dig yourself deeper into the ground there, Scott. Thank you for reminding me of that as well. Yeah, yeah so this great. This is Vladimir Guerrero, Marquise Grissom, Delano DeShield, Dennis Martinez era for those baseball fans. Pe Pedro, too. And you guys, uh, you guys yeah. are really embracing me as a guest. And uh, I'm feeling the warmth and love from you guys right out of the gate. So, so, so let's passive-aggressively continue this conversation. So my, my first question to you, John, is yeah. Yeah. because you combine sales and comedy and training and coaching and all this, I've got to assume everybody comes up to you and says, hey, John, tell me a funny joke. That's never what happened. Is, yeah. I'm sure that gets tedious and tiresome, does it not? Hey, John. Please be funny. Go. Yeah. Uh, hey, Scott, can you sell some stuff for me? Like at no charge? Can you just go do that? He's on mute, but I think, I think your point is well taken that it's the same thing that people come and ask him all the time or give me some sales advice. So, um, yeah. but yes, I agree with you. How do you, just out of curiosity, how do you respond to that, right? That's almost like a heckle. Right. And, and for those who don't know, John actually is a professional comedian. If there is such a thing, he actually does stand up. He gets in front of crowds and he is actually very, very funny. So I'm, I'm a big fan. But how do, how do you handle that heckle from from the salesperson who asks you to just be funny in a sales way? Well, it's not just salespeople who ask me that. It's everybody. So if an accountant says, hey, you're a comedian, tell me a joke. I'm like, great, do my taxes. Like just. Let's 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 make a barter here of good uh, of services for services. I'm 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 up for that. So, what um when did you start? I mean, give people a little bit of background for your your comedy, but also your sales career because you're you know you're not just some guy who does stand up and goes oh you know I bet I could be help salespeople like you actually have legit real sales experience. I want to make sure people know that about. You. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that because I am confused for the funniest guy in the world. Very often they think this guy's just a natural corn comic. He's so funny and maybe he knows something about sales, but either way we'll hire him. Uh, you know what? Actually, I thought about this recently uh, prior to actually uh, kind of starting an enterprise tech sales career. I used to do yard sales like like when I was a kid, just like, you know, people like stuff. I have stuff that I don't want anymore, like old baseball cards or, or toys that I no longer play with. 
I'll just try and sell those. But then kind of when I was in my, I guess, university years, uh, I do door to door sales. I was selling like household bulk household products, like toilet paper, paper towel cleaners and stuff like that. A portion would go to charity. And I was kind of like Costco for lazy people. That's really what would happen. We deliver the stuff right to their door. And I never looked at sales as a career uh, until I, I ended up at Oracle. I was just kind of, I had a couple of business degrees. It was the dot-com bust. And I'd worked in a dot-com, literally that had bust. Uh, I tried my hand in the, uh, kind of like the boutique investment banking world. And I wasn't really cut out for those things. I didn't really have a clear skill set. But I ended up getting an SDR role at Oracle in Toronto. They were they were building that role out for the, uh, the ERP team. They had never had people make cold calls for sales reps. So they were building that out. And at first, the title of the job was business development consultant. And I took that job title to mean like, oh, I've heard of Oracle. They probably want me to really be like a strategy consultant and help grow their, their company. And I think I'm the guy to do that. I have an MBA. Um, and when I showed up for the interview, they literally used the word, it was a group interview. There was like loads of candidates there. We're all herded into a room and the director of the inside sales arm said, this is the telemarketing arm of Oracle. And I almost said, screw this telemarketing. I'm out of here. Uh, but something said, just stay. And I went through the interview process. I was told that day by my hiring manager. Yeah, we're, we're hiring you. And uh, I, I kind of liked it. It was like you had this, these clear goals to hit as a cold caller. Very, very, um, very actionable uh, objectives that, that they were giving you to, to, to go try and hit. And after a year of cold calling, I moved into inside sales, uh, supporting about a dozen field reps selling ERP to uh, e uh, customers in Eastern Canada. And then moved over to an Oracle partner for about six and a half years. So I spent about, I guess, eight and a half, nine years in that Oracle world, uh, just getting a lot of training from both the Oracle partner community uh, from Oracle themselves, same, same training actually. And, uh, and then kind of about at the eight year mark of all that Oracle time, I kind of, uh, Richard, you're the, uh, the, the mental health and sales guy. I, I was kind of like, I, I need to change. I need to fix my mental health and get away from this, this job. Um, I just hit a wall with it all. I kind of wasn't really caring anymore. I was doing it, uh, because we all like food and need to pay for it. Um, but I just kind of knew that like, this isn't really what I want to do with the rest of my life. A lot of my old buddies from Oracle, who I started with, they had moved on to Salesforce. And uh, they said, hey, do you want to come here? I said, I don't think so. I think I'm eventually going to transition. What, were you, what do you think, when you were selling, just, and, I'm just, and I'm curious, were you, sell, you, said you, started, you said you started selling just in the Canadian market. Did you start to sell when you were with the partner into the U.S. market? We did a little bit of it in a more opportunistic way. We weren't proactively hunting. Uh, we would look for the odd customer profile. We supported a tool that Oracle was kind of sunsetting, uh, but customers, a lot of customers were running it and we had, a, uh, we had a competency in that tool. So we kind of troll around and like maybe lob the odd call in, but just kind of in a very opportunistic, low hanging fruit kind of way. So you can, you can answer this however you want. All right. What do you think is the difference between the U.S. selling into the U.S. market and selling into the Canadian market? Oh God, how long is this podcast? Do, can you do, can you guys be here till dinner? Will there be catering? There, there that many differences, John? Well, there's 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 a couple of layers to that question. I live in Quebec, 
And Quebec is different from the rest of Canada. Like we're the, we're the Austin of Canada, you know, like we're just this, this city that's different from our states. That's, uh, that's different from uh, the entire country. Uh, if we were a Starbucks beverage, we'd be a French cold Austin. That's kind of the joke I tell to Austin sales teams and they seem to enjoy that. Um, and we're different than Canada. And, and America likes to go. Like, that's the reality. You guys are a little bit more like, let's just get this done. We need to make this happen. You guys are in a faster race to get the money, even if it means some failure along the way. Mm-hmm. Canada's pretty conservative. We're also, uh, here's a little myth about Canadians. We're not polite like you guys think we are. We're just pros at being passive aggressive. And actually, that extends to our prospects. And our prospects will, will make it like they're really interested, but they're kind of telling you, go away. Like, and, and it takes, that's a skill that you pick up on over time. And in Quebec, um, Quebec's a bit of a different place than the rest of Canada. Uh, they can be a little bit more emotional about things. Sometimes, sometimes things get done quicker, but usually for less money. Why so is that? And why is that, you think? <sighs> My God. Um, we're, we're just a different little world here. We have French language laws, changes the landscape of business, and uh, it's just a completely different market that views things quite differently and views, it's sort of like our, our needs are different than everyone else's. You got to take care of us a certain way. And mm-hmm. every market I feel is different across Canada. And uh, the maritime provinces are also quite different than Ontario or Quebec. They're, they're very, they're very local face. They like to buy local as well. Like just like Quebec. Yeah. What you said? There's certainly geographic differences in the States, Richard, where you sell to you're going to talk to somebody from New York different than somebody from Wisconsin. At least I would. Yeah. Or the South. I would agree with you. I'm curious though, you know, you, you talk about what's a passive aggressive objection, right? Like, because you know, that's one of those things that I think happens in sales in general. I don't care where you're from. And I'm curious as to, to your take on it and, how you try to respond to those or teach other people to respond. Not, I'm not telling you to sort of tell us a joke, but just what's the sales skill you look for or have used in that regard? I mean, I think it's just about managing expectations. Like I, in my dealings with selling to Americans, you guys are really like, yeah, we're going to do this or no, here, we're not doing it and here's why. And of course there are people who ghost us all the time, but in Canada, we, you just sort of learn to read there that certain signals to just not put your hopes into something, even if they've sort of been nice and polite the whole way. So it's not about objections. It's just about not investing a ton of time. Uh, if, if they're not getting back to you, like you're like, they weren't, you know, the signals weren't there, even though they said, yes, follow up with me. I'd like that. They're just being polite and they don't want to tell you no. And you just sort of learn how to read that after a while. Does that translate into less? <clears throat> like if I, if we were building, cadences for a Canadian sales team and a U.S. sales team. You know, the U.S. sales team might have like 21 different touches of follow-ups and all this. Would the Canadian sales team have significantly less? Is it like... Yeah, I, I w- it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great question. I, I don't think Canadians like to be sold to that much. Uh, I, think, I think we're just sort of like shoppers. If we need something, we'll go out and look for it. Uh, America is definitely more entrepreneurial. You guys are more capitalists. We have, we have some socialist tendencies here. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a capitalist society, but we are kind of like, quit, quit calling me. Like, I'll call you, you know, just back off buddy, uh, or, or man, you know? Um, and so I, I would, I, that's a good point. Like, uh, I, I, I don't sell to Canada that much because it's, it's, we just don't have as many 
sales teams here they're looking to scale shall we say um the market's smaller and hey i like u.s exchange rates just like every other canadian and uh canada also will negotiate a lot they'll negotiate me way down uh when they want to bring me in and i'm just kind of like it takes longer to get done they negotiate me down there's no exchange bump uh maybe i shouldn't be revealing all my secrets of how i how i sell to america but uh or why i like selling there but um but that's kind of the reality. It's counterintuitive, John. You you yeah. know you know the more secrets you give away, somehow the better uh, the better we all do, right? Rather yeah. than keeping it to ourselves. Yeah. Let, me, let me ask you a question. I think that most people, and I could be wrong, but I think most people might hear you know comedy writing for sales and think, okay, this is all about the beginning of a call. This is all about the rapport building and the ice breaking. Is it is it more than that? It's a lot of things. I would say if I had to boil it down to someone who wanted three bullet points, because uh, that's all the time they have to hear, I would actually say those three things. But when I started doing what I'm doing, I was like, you know what? I started to write a joke for, for cold calls, like for my own cold calls. And the more times I got to deliver it, the more I'd smooth the joke out, the more I knew how to push those buttons when someone answered the phone. And I realized this is just one joke and I'm literally building a pipeline off this one joke because I'm being hyper relatable to my prospect. But it's a matter of understanding who, who your audience is, right? So the way I've kind of come to describe the value of comedy writing for sales pros is that we're reverse engineering understanding of your prospects and the problems you solve for them through the joke writing process. And even if we don't write great jokes, we're, we're literally mapping out everything about a persona or ICP. And uh, we're, just, we're just trying to deconstruct a lot of that language that maybe, I don't know who, maybe marketing puts on websites that isn't that relatable sometimes to our prospects. And we just start to say things in simple English yeah. and draw some parallels between a problem that we can help you solve and something completely out of left field that makes a prospect laugh and paints a bit well, of a good It's getting away, getting away from all those buzzwords as Richard talks about all the time, which Absolutely. You know, yeah. he, uh, he can't stand. Is, is there, when you set about trying to write jokes into the pitch or the script, is there a certain type that tends to land better? For example, you know, one of the things that I, as we're having this conversation that I recognize that I do is like, I'm very self-deprecating. Like I make fun of myself and talk shit about myself like all the time. And I look back on my, you know, times that I've been in sales pitches and calls and whatnot and, you know, I can remember having to fax people contracts and to try to like less lighten the mood a little bit and make it less stressful. I'd be like, Oh, I hope I can figure this machine out. Like, oh, hold on. Like I screwed up. I spun right. Do, do, does, does that kind of joke or humor work equally as well or better than telling a joke about something else, some current event or something going on in, in a prospects prospects business? So in stand-up and in sales, we got to be relatable to our audience. We got to show them we understand them. So look, look at, thanks to the wonders of technology and social media, uh, stand-up comedy producers can segment their audiences. So I know comedians who produce shows for comic book nerds, uh, for pro wrestling fans. There's all kinds of uh, um, comedy shows for different ethnic or cultural groups. And so we're able to segment better than we ever can. And if I'm going to go do one of those shows, I really better know a lot of stuff about comic books 
uh, about the characters, about their struggles, about the stereotypes about them. And so I want to be relatable to that audience. So to answer your question, you can tell a joke about the weather or sports team where you went to college, maybe yourself, and you might get the laugh and you might get the prospect to go, oh, that's cool. How can I help you, right? But you're still at ground zero for demonstrating how your company can help their company. But if I can write a joke about a problem, which I can solve for you, and maybe kind of bake in one of the, the impacts of not solving those problems. So if you don't solve this, this is what could happen, and it's delivered in a funny way, you're literally gonna trigger them and go, that's funny because it's true. Like, how, yeah, how can I help you? So, it, sounds, it sounds like um, like any other kind of pitch. The, the, real, yeah. the, the real key and the, repower, the real power is tying the joke into the, the problems. It's not about surface level jokes and ice breaking as much as like, why does this matter? Why should you care? That's it. And if you could tell a good joke that really demonstrates that you understand, let's say you're calling uh, uh, CROs. And if you could tell a joke about um, leaky pipelines or about uh, uh, why it's hard to get people onboarded, any of these kind of topics, of course, a topic that you can help them with, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that connecting tissue. Because really, like when I was at Oracle, I'm like, man, I've never had a CFO's job. I've never worked in their industry, whatever it is. And I've never even used the damn software that I'm talking about. And they're older than me. They have more life experience. I got to fake it about finance, right? And so I was just like, like, if you can tie your, if you can relate through humor that shows, man, this person said something like, I don't know where I'll ever hear that joke. That sales rep really made me laugh because they touched on something that's, that's a real challenge that I'm dealing with or that I've dealt with in the past in an old job they're at least gonna say this person has some credibility, like they know their stuff. How do you, as you go further up the chain into the sales conversations, right? Um, and, and it's certainly happened to me. Um, sometimes the joke falls really flat, right? The VPs and the CROs don't want to have a joke conversation, right? And, I, and I've done it at the point where I'm in my fifth conversation with this person and the joke just goes bad. Right. So some of it's Richard. Like I, I know it's I know it's me. Um, but do you see that too? Is that as you go higher up the chain, people become less humorous about it? Or um, I mean, I, just what's your take on that? I guess. Like I mean, I don't, I don't advocate anyone writes a, a tight five as we say in comedy to just you know get your prospect on the phone and just hammer them with jokes because they don't have time for that. Uh, to Scott's point, I do believe a great a great opener. It's, it's the same as when a stand-up comedian you've never seen comes out on stage. They have like 12 seconds to get you to like them and to say, and you're there for one reason, to laugh. So they have to communicate something to you that's relatable and that gets you on board. So, so do SDRs and anyone who prospects or anyone who has that, you know, is having a, a discovery call or a demo. Like we, we all have to build rapport. We all have to get them to like us so they listen to us. Because let's face it, our attention spans are shorter than ever. Um, and so if I fail with a joke, if I kind of bake one into my conversation with a decision maker and they don't laugh, oh well. I haven't said, the, the beauty of the kind of jokes that I'm, that I'm kind of uh, preaching here, it's they can make you look clever if not funny. And if it's, if it's done right, it's at least insightful. And maybe they don't laugh, 
But you, you say, you say, oh, well, like, and you just kind of keep going or move on or whatever. But I wonder if people who are not used to incorporating this kind of style, like, there might be a lot of anxiety or fear about the joke kind of not landing well. And they're like, oh, I just created a train wreck or a car crash in my sales pitch. Right. <clears throat> you think that holds people back from trying like that? Look. I think people got to be comfortable as human beings to kind of take a joke that they've used in one situation and apply it to another, right? Like if you're kind of jittery around uh, your prospects and you, but you've mastered that art of like, let's say using it on a cold call, maybe that's where you use it. There's no need to necessarily use it somewhere else, but it's like anything like, look, I, I, when I started comedy, uh, you get really used to the taste of a good shit sandwich because you just bomb a lot. And as salespeople, we bomb a lot too. Maybe not necessarily with quotas year after year, but we bomb on calls. We bomb. Oh, we, we, every salesperson loses more sales calls than they, than they close. Everybody, right? Well, that's it. And it's, it's comedy writing and joke writing and joke delivery. It's, it's kind of like a funnel, just like sales is, right? Like you have to write a lot of jokes to get a few that are gonna close. It's this, and we're always prospecting and it's the same thing. If someone doesn't feel comfortable injecting humor into their messaging, I don't encourage them to do it. I don't claim that every person, every person on the planet uh, can just make it happen naturally. And I don't claim to tell people to be funny off the top of their heads. So if they can slide it in or say, Hey, we have a joke around our company and you tell the joke and the person laughs or they don't, I don't think it'll kill the meeting personally. Unless, you, unless, the, unless the joke refers to like, uh, you know, something really dark that happened in their lives, you might want to back away from those kind that, of jokes. That was, a, that was my question is, you know, I mean, I, mean, I would assume politics and, and sex and race are things you don't talk about as, no. as jokes, right? Are there other things that you- we should talk about with? politics as, as jokes. Well, no, I mean, in, in a business setting, right? Not ah, as- Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but- but are there other areas you encourage people not to go if they're going to try this strategy? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's kind of something that's um, a lot of people will assume, oh, he's teaching my reps to say a rabbi, a priest, and a, and a, and a minister walked into a, to a bar kind of jokes, which isn't what I'm teaching at all. Um, but really, I, I insist that everyone stays away from any jokes uh, that bring in anyone's stereotypes about anyone's culture religion, ethnicity, uh, sexual identity. We don't punch down on marginalized groups in society. So whether it's uh, uh, the poor or whether it's the disabled of any kind, physically or mentally, there's loads of marginalized groups, never pick on them in a joke. Even in today's stand-up comedy world, it's not cool to do this kind of stuff. Um, politics is a for sure. Uh, another little tip is never make a joke about either a colleague who's part of your sales team that's on the call with the prospect. Or if you've built great rapport with, let's say, a middle manager, who, and then they're bringing you to the decision maker, don't ever out your, your, your sponsor, um, your champion, because you've, you feel comfortable with them and you have that relationship with them. Don't say, uh, hey, hey uh, Steve, do you know Tim really wears a toupee? That's hilarious. Like maybe the CRO or maybe the, maybe the decision maker doesn't know the champion. Maybe they don't know something about them. And so just don't out them on the call. Uh, and if it's not, if it's a joke, you have to explain. 
you know, I think you guys know where that goes. So those are kind of the do's and don'ts of, of jokes with our prospects. What, um, <laughs> when did you start doing comedy just in, in general terms? When did you start to yeah. really in, in embrace that? Well, I really wanted to be a, a hobby musician and I was really good at putting bands together and really quickly they learned that you are the weakest link and we are going to push you out. And that happened, a, that happened a few times. I just wanted to like get to, I, I had this creative side. Um, and I always loved comedy, but I never really knew what to do with it. It's like, you know, you either grow up in high school and you got some friends, you create some sketches, form a troupe and go out there. Stand up never was a thing that crossed my mind. I took an improv class. And improv is this completely different animal than stand up. And I like improv, it's fun. And it will teach you to listen. But I had people in my class that just weren't following the rules of the game because they wanted to be the stars. And I'm like, I'm wasting my time and money. These are children. And someone told me about a comedy writing class put on by a local stand-up. Um, and I said, I'll go do that. Maybe I'll meet some people. We'll take some zany ideas and make some wacky YouTube videos. Like this was going on in my head. And uh, uh, I got to the class. The teacher said, this is a stand-up class. I paid him my money. This is a stand-up comedy class, and after 10 weeks, you're going to do five minutes of stand-up for your friends and family. That's the final exam. My first instinct was, no, I'm not. I will not be doing that. But I kind of went through the process of uh, the exercises and how he was showing us how material works. And uh, after like week six or seven of me getting up there and reading my ideas to the class and, and watching them go from like this you know, folded arms to, to kind of like getting them to open up a little bit and seeing that body language. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a field sales presentation. This isn't as bad as I thought it is. And then I just kind of kept working on my material. I did the final exam. I got laughs and then I was hooked. I want to do it again. And this is 2011. Uh, I then found another show to do. I got bigger laughs. I'm like, I got this. This is awesome. And then I went back to that same spot the next week. And boy, did I eat my, you know what? Like I just, I just bombed so hard. I blanked. I got heckled by another comedian on mushrooms. Uh, it was a hell of an experience. And at that point I was like, I can't let this be the last time I do this. I need to fix this. Uh, so yeah. When you bomb something like that, <clears throat> is, it, is it because your performance was significantly worse or was it just because the audience like wasn't the right target audience hmm. that last part to say the least it was mainly comedians in the crowd who have been doing it a while are super judgmental and when you're new you're pretty bad and i i even though i had some jokes that were getting laughs in some in front of some friendly audiences i now had a tough audience um i was just rattled for a bunch of reasons the lights were the lights the week before had been super bright and that actually worked to my advantage because i felt like i didn't stare anybody in the eye uh, and that would distract me this week, the lights were lower. And all of a sudden, I see, I see the comedians who I had watched be really funny and doing it for a while. And they're just like, who is this guy? Like, what, what's going, what is this? And I blanked. I blanked really early. I bombed. I got heckled, like I said, by a comedian on mushrooms. Uh, and that was like the knockout punch. That was like, I forget everything. I forget why I'm alive right now. I like that. He, I like, Richard, I like that John keeps reminding us that this comedian was on mushrooms, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> His handshake was very telling, yes. What, um, 
you know, now I'm just going to ask the obvious question, right? So, what 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 do your parents think about your your comedy? What do they think about you being a comedian? Uh, well, look, I'm I'm not at it full time, right? Like, uh, I appreciate you calling me a professional, and by some some define being a professional as someone who collects money to do stand up. And yes, I get paid to do it, uh, but I've never I've never pursued it on any kind of full time basis. My, my, I think I might update my LinkedIn profile with like, I'm too dysfunctional for your sales team, but too functional for stand-up comedy. Cause it's, it's kind of like not a life that I'd encourage uh, anyone to pursue. It's basically sales, the much crappier compliment. Like that's really what it is. And like, we all, we all want to make a few bucks. It's a grind. You have to put up with some hard circumstances. So I've never really, really pursued it like seven days a week, three times a night on stage. I, I was doing at my peak, like, let's say four or five sets a week. Maybe sometimes I do two sets in one night. It became kind of like, so, like you guys surf or you guys or some people train for a triathlon. That kind of became my sport. It's just getting up on stage and working on my thoughts and my ideas. So my dad's always been kind of supportive. I, when I got into comedy and said, I'm going to like step away from enterprise tech sales. I did it as a way to develop some new skills. Cause quite frankly, I felt my skills had stagnated and I had already known that I don't really want to be kind of bouncing from enterprise uh, tech sales job to enterprise tech sales job, which is some of my people, some of some people I started out with Oracle, they were already on like their third or fourth company. Hey, I'm at Microsoft now. I was at Salesforce last week. And it's just like, I, I don't want to be on that, that conveyor belt. What are, um, what, are, what are some of the reasons why you might encourage salespeople to go, try a uh, stand-up comedy, even if it's just like a, um, you know, an open mic night or whatever. What are the reasons yeah. for somebody yeah. to go test it out? Oh, there's so many. Uh, I mean, first it helps build your confidence. It helps you get more resilient. You have to practice. So I know, I know like the funniest comedians on the planet look like they're making it up off the top of their head, but they're not. It's all super scripted. It's crafted. They've practiced the delivery and the timing they know where to pause. They know where to wait for the laughs. Uh, and that's kind of when, they, when the, let's face it, your audience is a bunch of prospects and customers. They, they're either, you're either trying to get them to come follow you on social media or come to a future gig, or uh, they're there for you. And so uh, it teaches us to really like understand our audience, uh, teaches to be curt and concise with our messaging and communicate our ideas in a way that helps us really connect with with that audience um those are the big ones i mean it's just it's, if you can get those laughs it's a confidence booster and if you could handle the rejection that's actually probably the biggest lesson if you can really deal with the rejection from stand-up comedy it's going to be no big deal if a prospect says I, I i can't talk in a meeting how do you how do you handle that rejection whether it's comedy or you know like how does John process that? Have you just, or you just built the callus of, ah, it's just part of the game. A lot of tears, Richard, a lot of tears. I have buckets all around my apartment. No, it's part of the game. I mean, look, uh, when you're cold calling, I, when I was at Oracle, I had to make 40 dials a day. How many conversations would I have a day? One or two. And with, and, and that's with someone like answering the phone and me getting words out of my mouth and then, you know, you get, you connect with a couple of people a day. Uh, so there's a lot of rejection in sales and stand up. It's, Look, in, in, in sales, or sorry, in stand-up, if you bomb, the worst you do is lose some dignity. In sales, if you bomb, you lose your job. 
So the stakes are way higher in sales, but it happens so much more often. It's public in standup, and that's the hard part, but it is a callus because uh, I really benefited from recording every set I ever did on video and watching not just the good sets, but more importantly, the truly bad sets. It's like listening to your calls over and over, watching your game film or whatever, yeah. It's exactly it, and I've, I've done is it, it. Is it painful to watch? Are you, are you just like cringing while you're watching it? Like, oh God, what was I doing there? Early on it wasn't, now it is more for some reason. But the, hard, <laughs> the most cringeworthy sets, if you want to know the truth, there's an expression comedy. You never did as bad as you thought you did. And you never do as well as you thought you did. And the sets that I watch where I'm like, oh man, I killed it. I want to go watch that because I need my ego validated. And you realize there's like a lull in the middle for like a minute and a half where no one's laughing. And that's where you, that's what eats at my soul a lot. I don't mind watching myself bomb with new material. Uh, that's, that's actually a joy because the biggest thrill in, for me in comedy is figuring out new jokes. How do I push their buttons in new ways? Because you get tired of telling the same jokes. So I don't mind failing once, twice, or even three times the new premise. As long as I'm getting some chuckles and smiles, I'm like, some people find this funny. This is a puzzle. I'm going to solve this puzzle. What, um, what, do, you, what do you think about the, the generations in sales, right? So um, we're, we're really with three generations now between you know, millennials, Gen X, or Gen X, millennials, and now Gen Zs entering into the into the foray. Just regardless of comedy, I'm curious as to what your take is, and, and by all means, you can insert a joke if you want. But um, <laughs> thanks for putting me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about it at the beginning. I got to test yeah. it just a little. Um, no, but but do you see do you see the generations responding to your style differently or do you think everybody's like, Oh my God, this is really cool and it's fresh and it's different. And cause that's the part I see is that this is something totally different than anything else that's being taught different than what I teach different than what Todd teaches, what, you know, John Barrows teaches. Like, how do you see them? Do you, do you see generational differences? I did a gig with Canon recently. Uh, Canon's managed services team. So these are enterprise sellers all in their forties to sixties. And and I'm going to come back to your question, but you know, I was sort of like, I've always been, I don't know if confused is the word, but I've, I've, people say, who's your, who's your ideal customer? I include, I don't have one because those enterprise sellers who have been in the field and on the road for 20 years, they haven't flexed their creative muscles since like ever. And I had to like literally kind of grab some of them by the lapels during our breakout sessions where they have to complete certain creative exercises and get them to realize you don't have to answer everything in the world of print. Like just let your mind roam, get free. And by the end of it, they were on stage telling jokes about the problems that, uh, you know, uh, that, that large organizations have with print and managing print throughout the organizations. I look at really young sales pros and I feel kind of, I feel empathy to use a buzzword from this pandemic for them because I was really fortunate enough to get hired into Oracle. I had no interest in being a salesperson, to be quite frank. I just wanted a paycheck. And, uh, but Oracle really, you know, God bless them. They, they just give you so much high end sales training and it's fed to you constantly. And over time, they are always investing in you. And if you're an SDR at Smiza, 
you know, a fictional name that I just made up with two syllables off the top of my head. Um, you know, maybe they're getting onboarded, but I don't think they're getting ongoing training. I think that phones and technology, which they've grown up on, has made them call reluctant. I think they're a little intimidated to talk to some, some people. I get it. It's hard to cold call. And I'm also seeing a lack of copywriting skills because people are good with emojis and, you know, short abbreviated texts and stuff like that. And I isn't think the that, isn't, that, isn't that a new current form of copywriting though? Couldn't one argue? You could, and if you could, if you could get your deals done with it, great. But I, would you want to lose a deal because someone went LOL smiley face emoji like in an email? I mean, I wouldn't, but you know, <laughs> I think I think there's there's a case that um, I mean, there's plenty of people that I see at least who surface level appear to communicate these ways that um, are getting things done and doing doing quite well. Then listen, if they can do it, and they can, if that works for them, and it works for their buyers. I'm not. It doesn't work for me. I don't. I don't. I don't know how to do it right. that way, and I certainly wouldn't be doing that with prospects of mine. But um, yeah, just, I mean, maybe that's because we're old as dirt, all three of us, right? And so, you know, thanks for outing me. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that that salt and pepper gray hair. Yeah, you got you got some salt in in the in the hairline. I got some salt in the beard, and and Richard's got no hair and it's got salt in the beard. So you know, we, we've got all bases covered here. This is like a ret future retirement home here. Um, it is a, our A R A A R P uh, sales session meet, meet up. Um, but I still think that a lot of decision makers want clear and concise English, and they want to they want to have real conversations and have full sentences and words being used. And I think that's where I see some challenges with the younger, uh, with younger reps. And again, just there's that relatability gap that's always going to exist in sales. If you're 24, you got to call up someone that's 50 with a big title. That that's always going to be intimidating. What? Um, tell people a little bit more. I I, would, I do want to give you this chance, right? Is because because I know we're wrapping up on time, but. Really explain what you do for people. You come in and you help because you do more than just teach them how to write jokes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's way more to that. And I think it's important for people to understand it because what you do is unique and it's different. So um, by all means, please, please feel free to plug yourself a little bit. Sure. I love, I love a good plug-in. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but hey, let's roll with it. Um, I, uh, I offered. Well, now it's better be good. That's all I can say. Don't make it a shitty yeah. No, no, no. Uh, look, I offer workshops for full teams but i'm also now kind of offering classes where if you're a rep from uh, any company you can register for a class pay you pay a fee per head um and i work with new groups of no more than eight in those classes uh whereas when i'm working with a full sales team i can work with, work with up to 40 at a time they can get into breakout groups of up to five uh, but ultimately over multiple sessions i guide reps down this process of you know, helping them understand who their ICP is, who their persona is, uh, and get them to even articulate, okay, well, what problems do you solve? This is like, I think we all do this, right? Like, I think every one of us on this call offers that to our clients. Like, what problem do you solve? But also, what are the impacts of not solving that problem? And ultimately, uh, how do you help them do it? How do you solve that problem? Like, tell me how you, like, get them to tell like a classic before and after story. 
And at the end of the day, I start to guide them through this comedy writing process. Once they've come to a consensus on those answers and everyone's on the same page, we help vice presidents of manufacturing who are struggling with visibility into their inventory, right? Like that's, that, that's like the problem. Great, let's write a joke about the challenge of not having visibility into your inventory. So what that means is we have to start um, expressing ourselves around that problem. What would that, what would that executive say about the problem outside of it's frustrating? You know, we, 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 we can't, we don't know how much we have on hand. We don't know if we could fulfill customer orders. We lose business as a result. We, it causes customer dissatisfaction. So I get them all kind of like capturing all the sentiments and understanding of the problem. And then I guide them down this journey on how I help them identify keywords and phrases, which lead to good humor, more creativity. And then uh, I show them how jokes work and jokes are just formulas at the end of the day. And uh, you know, it's kind of like painting. It's like, it's like, it's like building a house from scratch, I guess is the analogy I love using the most. If you said, I want my dream home, you, you wouldn't just go buy it already built because it's a dream home. It doesn't exist. You got to go to home Depot. You got to go get the, the foundation. You got to go get the wood. You got to go get the drywall. You got to go get the paint, the wires, the plumbing, and you got to assemble it. And then it's custom for you and your friends or whatever. So that's how jokes work. Like where you can write a joke about anything. We can write a joke about, uh, you know, fake beach backgrounds. We can write a joke about, uh, um, sales podcasts and maybe we should at some point uh, about the proliferation of sales podcasts. We can write jokes about whatever we want. And I just want to help sales pros write jokes that get those conversations started with their prospects because they're demonstrating insight in a very memorable way. And a whole team can adopt one joke. That's the reality. If you got 40 reps and they're all hammering of the prospects, their prospects with the same joke uh, and it's working, that's, that's the goal that, you know, can, can get more stuff done for teams. Does gold do stuff? I don't know. Okay. Just word fatigue. Well, what, how can we help support you, John? We're kind of running up to the end of the show here and, and we like to try to be helpful and, and show appreciation for the folks that spend some time with us. Um, what can we do for you? Um, yeah, you can let people know that uh, mid-August are going to be launching some new classes for both uh, individual sales pros who want to go through it. Um, but I'm also uh, rolling it out to, to not full sales teams, but I don't know, a group of folks from one team want to, want to go through this process together and collaborate. Um, be willing to work with like eight, eight per class or uh, yeah, roughly eight per class from one company and guide them through that process. They can find that at johnseal.com slash registration. Uh, but the other thing I want people to know about is I'm on a quest people. I have a quota to fulfill. It is self-imposed. I'm trying to raise 25 K for COVID relief efforts. Uh, I've been doing a lot of fundraiser stand-up comedy, uh, perform for some folks like sales, gong, uh, Bloomberg, um, who else? Um, secure link out of Austin, the biggest donor to date, Niels Marshawn, God bless you. Gave 1500 bucks to a nonprofit called Safe that uh, is kind of taking care of people who are, if my understanding, if, if my memory serves me, um, Safe helps those impacted by you know, domestic violence and stuff like that. Uh, and obviously with the pandemic, people are trapped at home. So uh, they gave 1500 bucks uh, just to have me tell jokes for 20 to 30 minutes over a, uh, over, a, um, over a virtual happy hour. We had a blast. 
And I've done, I've done about 20 of these things so far. I've raised about 13, almost 14K en route to my 25K. So uh, my sales manager is going to get really angry if I don't hit that 25. Uh, there will be a yelling match, and everyone in the Starbucks where we have meetings will be staring at us, uh, which makes sense because I'm self-employed. So, um, you know. Please record uh, that, by the way. That might, that might get you the last 12,000. <laughs> that, is, that, is that is a joke I tell on pretty much every set. Um, John, is, kinda... uh, John has been kind enough to uh, join my Patreon group in a couple of weeks. So you'll, you'll have a chance to deliver one of your trainings with uh, roughly 100 people or so. And we'll try to, we should definitely talk about your fundraising efforts for COVID during that, uh, that training event and see if we can't get you some more dollars on the scoreboard there. I welcome that. Yeah. Uh, just got to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of Lead 411, who helps people find, uh, maybe they help find jokes because there's intent data in uh, the research that they can provide you, as well as mobile phone numbers and direct phone numbers. So if you're looking for leads and looking for intent data, please be sure to check out our sponsor, uh, Lead 411. Um, and we're super happy that John Seeley could join us. And by the way, it's J-O-N, just for those who are trying to go to his website. Uh, it's not J-O-H-N, um, because we want to make sure that um, you, get, you get to the right person. Although I don't know, do you know who John, J-O-H-N, Seeley is? Have you ever looked that person up, John? There's a lot of them, actually. So I don't know any single one. I just sort of, but everyone thinks my name has an H. Uh, and it's, it's just one of those things. My joke is, hey, yeah, there's an H. It's silent and invisible. So just, you know, spell it accordingly. There it is. The funny man, John Seeley, helping us end the show on a high note. Uh, thank you so much, John. It's been, we know you offline, so it's been fun to, to talk to you in, in this realm as well. This is a pleasure. And everyone should check out Richard uh, as one of uh, my guests on my old video series, Second Opinion, where Richard uh, kind of over, Richard's advice overrides mine. Uh, because even though I play a character who knows everything about sales, some people want that second opinion. So go check out episode three with Richard. Nice. I will have to Thanks, check, Scott. check that out. Yep. Thanks, Thank you, John. Have a good one.